excited. I actually felt like he said, Sasha, just release this in faith that as you preach that marriages will, will be strengthened today. So I'm going to pray that and uh, preach what I feel like he put on my heart and then let it roll. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that um, you are the helper and that you love strengthening marriages. You love strengthening families. Holy Spirit, we make room for you this morning. And I ask, Lord, that your words would be spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about that song, We'll Make Room for You, and I just thought of Mary. And um, I'm pregnant with our sixth child. And uh, <laughs> so, Jesus, go. Come on. And I was thinking of Mary, and uh, that was the question. That was the question that Gabriel, via God, was proposing to Mary was, will you make room for me? Will you say yes to something that's going to strip you of your reputation, strip you of your comfort, strip you of everything um, safe? Sorry, I just spit on my hand. And um, will you make room for me? And I love her question. She didn't say no. She just said, how will this come to be? Which gives me a lot of courage because I think even in we're talking about surrendering to the Lord, sometimes it's like, I want to, Lord, but I don't know how because I'm afraid of all the stripping that's going to happen, all the comfort that I'm going to lose, all of my friends that I'm going to walk through. And the Holy Spirit or Gabriel says, you'll be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. That's how you are going to... Do what I've called you to do. There is absolutely zero chance for you to do what God has called you to do outside of being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. So when we're praying and asking God, would you overwhelm me? Or I'm sorry, would you make room for me? And we're saying yes to that. We need to ask, like what Chuck was saying, for that fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit because he's the only one that's going to produce what God wants to birth through you. So that was just... That's for free. The, re- the rest is cost. Going to cost. One thing that I want, that I think the Holy Spirit wants to share, is we have to grab hold of our bridal paradigm. So, let's go. I didn't give you this uh, verse, Bill. But let's go take your Bibles, your analog Bibles, to Ephesians 5, 25. Because I need to give you context. Because you are not going to understand the fury of the Lord without understanding that this is about a bridegroom and a bride. You're going to read the Old Testament, and you're going to be like, that's a little intense. Your, 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 your wrath is a little too much. Or vice versa, you'll dumb down his love, and you'll think it's just a high-five kind of love, a brotherly love, which he does call us that. He says servants. He says brothers. He says friendship. But he also says bride and bridegroom. Because he is trying to paint a picture for us that's a little bit more intimate. And he wants to show you the reasoning why his fury burns the way it does. Because it's about love. So let's read Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I love this. Paul's like, all right, this mystery is profound. If he was living in our modern day, he'd be like, this is a mic drop moment, okay? Uh, this is a mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's talking Christ, bridegroom, church, bride. He just like, shut up a level. He's like, I've talked to you as a, I've, I've introduced myself as master. I've introduced myself as brother. I've introduced myself as friend. But I really want us to get to this place of intimacy, which is bridegroom and bride. So having that paradigm we, Chuck and I were talking about this, <laughs> and if you think about things you would endure and how far you would go with a relationship in trials or tribulations, you might go this far with a friend, right? You're like, but you might ditch him when he gets like, when he's sick. He's like, ah, I'll send you like a card, but I'm going to go over here or whatever. But with it's a bride and a bridegroom, there's no separating. You're there committed, just like the old tradition vows, in sickness and in health. And so he is trying to give, get us to this paradigm. So where is this going? Because is this just Sasha making it up? Is it just that one verse that, that he's really showing himself as bridegroom? No. Well, the whole book of Hosea, the whole book of Song of Solomon. But let's go to, there's that. But let's go to Revelation 22, 17. Because if we're, we, I want the big storyline, right? Because if we're going to endure to the end, if we're, our faith is going to carry us from beginning to end, what is the end? And this is a picture of that end. Revelation 22, 17. I hope I put the right verse. Yes, praise Jesus. All right, the spirit and the family, the spirit and the friend, the spirit and the slave, the spirit and the bride say come. That means there's going to be a church at the end of the age that knows her bridal identity in Christ, that knows that this is on to what? A marriage feast, a marriage of the lamb, and he is the bridegroom, and we collectively, church, are the bride. We need that context because in the middle is called sanctification. 
<laughs> and it comes with crushing. And you will not endure the sanctification or the crushing if you do not know that there is a consummation, that there is a oneness. That is, I was, what was that song that we were singing? Um, like, your promise helps me stay faithful, basically. I was just thinking of Jesus. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. You could probably do a word search on endure, enduring, endurance. There's like so many crowns up in Revelation. If you endure, <laughs> he, he wants to show you that there is going to be an endurance. And right now in culture, there's this sale pitch going out that's like, hey, you could be a Christian. You could put Jesus on your name tag and you could still live safe and happy and keep all your friends and, you know, change this word in the Bible and change this verse. And you can still be a Christian, though. But we're basically saying, you could do it your way, and then you could just say, Jesus is, is on my side. And Jesus is like, who's on my side? Who's taking up their cross, denying themselves, and following him? That's, that's, that's gospel. Cross, deny self, follow him. You're like, ah, there's pain involved. I don't want that. But when it's love, you can say yes to the cross. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time is Braveheart. Anyone else? Braveheart is your favorite movie? Thank you, Josh Gradman. There is something about that movie that's very gospel. You have William Wallace, who Asher is named after. Will, as Asher Williams, partly named after because of that movie. I don't know if you know that, but that was, that was what was going through my head. Asher is my firstborn. And in that movie, he falls in love. And he, he, like one of the scenes is he throws a rock, you know, takes her off, whisks her off on a horse. I mean, it's beautiful. Like the whole thing and like the weed, the purple weed, everyone, can we get high fives on the purple weed? You're like, I wish my husband would bring me a purple weed. <laughs> Pressed. It's so romantic. It really is. So anyways, he marries her secretly because at the time, whoever got married would have to share uh, their... What's it called? Nuptial? Nuptial? Whatever. They would have to share the wife with the officers, okay? He's like, uh uh-uh, I'm not sharing my bride with anybody. And this is just that, I mean, if anything says the gospel like that, what I just said, Jesus is saying, I don't want to share my bride with anyone. I want her for me and me alone. I want her eyes on me and my eyes on her. I'm not sharing with Anybody. And the only way that we are going to be alive is if we surrender to that love and we say, you're the only one I want to remove everything that hinders love. Remove all the idols. So in that movie, he swoops her off. He gets married in secret. And in actuality, he just wants 
to live his life in love with his wife and probably have children and he but he doesn't want he's he's not worried about getting political or getting into everything but something happens the enemy of the story comes and takes his wife and that's where the fury comes and there is a real enemy in our life that's trying to take the bride that's trying to take what's not his doesn't belong to him and Jesus has something to say about that and so when we're mad that God is bringing judgment we have to understand that it's because it's about a bride and a bridegroom and he that means something to him when I grew up I had my mom by the grace of God gave me such a high value for marriage and such a high value for sex. I was loved the Song of Solomon growing up and I, 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 by the grace of God, this idea of purity was instilled in my, my framework, my paradigm. And so I would go to public school and I, I just, I really can't believe this, but because she taught me from a young age, this is valuable, you matter, you have value, and your purity is worth fighting for. When I went to public school and I saw all this like cheap stuff happening, I was like, that's not love. That's not love, and I wasn't interested. I remember one time, uh, because I'm an exuberant woman, and I was an exuberant young lady, and I, loved, I was very friendly. My, uh, I talked to my mom one time, and I was talking to her about me having conversations with guys, and she's like, are you messing with their hearts? Meaning, I was flirting, and I was you know, emotionally trying to get them stirred up, right? Or get them going. And I, got, I had such conviction that I was like, I am. I am messing with them by just towing the line, right? So I knew this was wrong, but he, she brought it even further. She was like, are you tempting their hearts? So you're not guarding your heart. And these moments where my mom just brought incredible value to relationship and marriage and sexuality, it was incredible. So, but if my mom did it, and, and, and she's evil, like the Bible says, how much more the value that God is putting on marriage and putting on purity and putting on uh, relationship and sexuality. So anyways, um, let's go to Revelation 3. And I'll bring up Braveheart again because what happens is they, they kill the bride. And that causes him to fight. So Revelations 3, I've been camping here. The last, if you've heard me, heard me speak, I've just kind of been sitting in this for a while. I think it's the message, part of the message to the church of America. And it says this, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, 
I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, <laughs> that's a hard word, worthy of pity, poor, blind, and naked. And then here's his counsel. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. The shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, can we get a highlighter out? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. A lot in culture right now is saying, Love is just approving of my behavior. You just tell me that my behavior, regardless of if it's biblical or not, is good, and that's what love is. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. We're, in a way... And the culture at large and the progressive culture at large is saying, God, you repent. You change your mind. You tell me that I can do sexuality however I want. You tell me that there's 5,000 genders. You tell me that there's actually no objective truth, that I could just make the truth on my own. Did I hit the big ones? But he has something to say. You know, in Hebrews, I think it's three or two, he's saying, listen, do not harden your hearts. Do not be in rebellion. But know my ways. So it's not like he's saying no, but he's not teaching us what is true. He's saying, no, this is what is true. See, it was easy for me to say no in high school to this lukewarm form of, of sex and relationships because God had fed me with the truth of his word and the beauty and the gold that is found in there. He is God. He is beginning. He is creator. We are created. Created is not allowed to tell me what is truth. Creator is allowed to tell me what is truth. Okay, so there's this, did I read that part? Okay, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And this is his mercy. This is his beauty that he would pursue us, even in our rebellion, even in our rejection, even in our dung. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that sounds familiar. I just said Hebrews 2. If anyone hears my voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not rebel, but come and know my ways. He's very consistent, which truth is usually. Always. But here's the promise. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And I want to make a point here. These rebukes and, and affirmations of the churches, I just said what I'm about to say, is it to those sinners out there? It's to who? Us. We matter to him. 
They matter. He died on the cross because they matter. He died on the cross for us. But he wants us to know his ways. Okay, so there's this knocking. There's this coming in and there's this dining with him, which all I think alludes to the marriage feast of the Lamb ultimately. But let's go to Matthew 25. In the beginning of... I know I'm taking you all throughout the Bible. Bill is like, what verses do you have? I'm like, can I just say Bible? <laughs> can I just say old and new, the whole shebang? No. Um, in the beginning of 2020, I had a dream, and he highlighted Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, which in a lot of ways are end-time um, chapters, and I'm going to, to, you don't have to go there. I want you to stay at Matthew 25. But I want to read a little bit of what Jesus says. Because the di- disciples come to him and ask him, what is it going to be like at the end of the age or in the signs of your coming? And he says this. So you can go there if you want to be awesome. Uh, Matthew 24, 4. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. This is comforting. The Bible is super comforting. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, earthquakes in various places. Again, comforting. Nothing surprising the Lord here. This is good. He's in control. Sovereign. He kind of predicted all of this. All right. And there will be famines and earthquakes. All these, but the beginning of birth pains. Now, here's where I want to highlight a little bit. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesakes. Who wants to sign up for Christianity where everyone hates you? Everyone hates you. I'm telling you right now, there is a false Christianity that's saying you can be liked by everyone and still serve Christ. And that's just not in my Bible. Not true. And I'm telling you that because it, it, it's delivering me. I love people and I want people to love me back. And so lately it's been like, holy Jesus, please help me. Because I'm trying to love, love you. But they're not responding like they, they did. At one point they used to like, go Sasha. Now they're just like, It's hard. Here's the hard part. Let's keep reading because this is the hard part. This has been my prayer. Many will fall away, this is verse 10, and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Listen to this, verse 12. This is where my heart just does lots of prayer. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. He's talking to his disciples. God, they're hating me. They're betraying me. And they're speaking wrongly about me. How do I not turn off my heart? How do I not build walls? How do I keep my heart soft? One of, I'll just give you all the in-scoop of Sasha Horning's heart. My biggest prayer is that by 80, my heart will be 
soft. And I said that in my naivety about five years ago. I was like, give me a soft heart, Lord. And then I'm like, and that thinking that I probably could, you know, accomplish that in my own strength. And I'm like, oh no, like, there's trials and they don't like me. And they're saying stupid things. And how do I keep my heart soft? So let's go to Matthew 25. And that's the question I think he's asking. He's all of us. How do you keep your heart alive when it's not going to get less crazy? It's going to get more crazy. Lawlessness increases. The glory will increase too. Praise God. Praise God. The wheat and tares will grow together. And I, I, it's so simple. I think the only way is to keep our eyes on Jesus. So let's read 25, Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like, and keep in mind Revelation 3, what we just read. Keep in mind the bridal paradigm. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, which I believe is also, he's still speaking to the church. Oh, there you go. Shakababa. Thank you. <laughs> that means thank you in my tongue. No, I sorry. Okay, Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks. Just this last week, I was teaching my Asher plural, <laughs> how to make a word plural. And so that just made me happy. But it's, 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 you need to highlight that because that's important. Flasks, more than one, of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Again, it doesn't say here is the father, here is the friend, here is the master, which all of those are true, and he talks about all of those, but I'm, make, I'm emphasizing a point here, that he's saying here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, all of them rose, and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answer saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. Do you remember the exhortation in Revelation 3? He says, you're poor, but buy from me. Buy from me gold. So in this life of, you know, whenever you were born in 80, you have this opportunity. Well, we might not all make it to 80, really. Tomorrow's not promised. So whenever we have breath in our lungs, we have an opportunity to buy gold. Or another, as Matthew 25 says, buy oil. This is our time. In faith. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. By faith, 
summer. All of us, right now, because there's going to be a time where we see him face to face, and is it by faith then? No, it's not by faith. It's you see him in all his glory, and every tribe and tongue will confess that he is Lord. Because why? He is the king. That's the thing. The reality is he is king. The question is, are we living in the true reality? Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, so the wise bought today. They bought now. The foolish kept kicking the can. I'll do it when I have more time. I'll do it when I have more money. I'll do it when my duck's in a row. I'll give you my heart when X, Y, and Z. I'll look at you only on Sundays. That's the foolish. The wise said, I need to pour oil in my flask today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday because the bridegroom is coming. Now listen to this. You know, Sometimes rebukes feel very harsh. But if my hand is about to catch on fire and no one tells me to stop, that's evil. If I'm blind and I'm about to walk off this edge and no one tells me stop, you're evil. But God in his perfect love says this. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. He says that in Revelation 3. He says, for those who open the door for me, we're going to sit down together. He's a hundred for a hundred on all his promises. He's a hundred for a hundred on all his promises. He says he will return. He's a hundred for a hundred. And so the, the foolish says, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. That is probably the most intense rebuke I, I think that the Bible can give someone. He didn't say... You didn't go to church enough. You didn't serve enough. You didn't, I don't, he could have said a bajillion different things, but he said this simple phrase, I don't know you. There's no intimacy. So in Revelation 3, when he says, I, I stand at the door and knock, this is what I thought was so interesting. He's the initiator. He takes full responsibility for knocking upon our hearts and saying, will you let me in? I know you're dirty. I know you're awful. I know you're gross and evil and selfish and whatever our stuff is. But if you'll open for me, I'll do what Ephesians 5 says and I'll clean you and I'll purify you and I'll make you mine. That's on me. 
He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's just wanting to know who's opening. Who's going to open for him? And see here, in the, this is what I think is interesting. The, wine, the foolish virgins at, virgins at the end, they have the goal at the end to go knock on the door and say, okay, now we're ready. Our timing, our way. Jesus, you support what I'm doing. And y'all, it can even be good things. And it's usually good things. I remember, oh, Holy Spirit, keep my stories pointing to you. <laughs> it's not, we, we are the ones that yield. We are the ones that are called to surrender. He's knocking on our door. Will we open for him? All right, we're going to go to my favorite book, Song of Solomon 5. This is just beautiful. And then we'll finish in Luke 10 and we'll wrap it up. I told you the whole Bible. Did I get to every book yet? This is so good. Okay, so Song of Solomon, eight chapter love story, bride and bridegroom paradigm here. We're going to go into my literature degree. I love stuff like that. I'm like, one of my favorite things to do in like literature class, we're like, what do you think that they mean by this and this? And I'm like, oh yeah, we get to think deeper about something. We get to like put connections together. I am all in. And so that was my favorite class. And so that's partly why Song of Solomon is so beautiful to me. So there's going to be a lot of flowery and metaphorical language and y'all just hang in there with me okay holy spirit help us right uh sometimes your brain can shut off if you're like poetry is like yeah but let's just let's just get into that romantic place amen amen okay i slept but my heart i'm going uh verse two five song of solomon five chapter two i slept are y'all seeing like the little tie in here. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. He's so consistent. Don't read the Bible. It's like, you're saying the same thing over here and over here and over here. It's like, that's when you know. Like, when you're testing in science, you're looking for consistency. Guys, tried and true right here. All right. I slept, but my heart was was awake, a sound, my beloved is knocking. He's saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Okay, he knows how to get the girl awake, right? He's like, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. It's like, (laughs) I'm like, I have bad breath in the morning. And he's like, it's time to wake up. And he's like, beautiful. And I'm like, oh. You know, it's like so much, you're so much more willing to wake up if someone's calling you beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen, ladies? Okay? All right. But she has an issue. Okay, so she, okay, hold it. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. What does that remind you of? In the Gospels, his locks are dripping with dew. Gethsemane, anyone thinking Gethsemane? Sweating drops of blood. He's in, he's, he's praying to the Father. So he's asking her 
to come, oh wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry, verse three, I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? She's given him excuses. My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. Thank you, Jesus. I remember when I was uh, engaged with Chuck and like we would, like time wasn't, uh, like there's no time, right? You're, you're like, it's 1 a.m. Yeah, who cares, you know? I won't give it all, babe. But uh, when he had to leave, right, because we weren't married yet, and he had to go, and, he, and I had to go to sleep, my heart would ache. I was like, I cannot wait till we're married and he doesn't have to leave again. That was, that was like, I couldn't wait. I was like, let's get married. So that he never has to leave, so he's always with me. So this is what she's feeling. My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to open my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone, what? My soul failed me when he spoke. When he spoke, I saw him but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil. Those watchmen on the walls, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. In the midst of 2020, the Lord put this in my spirit. He said, what is going to defeat the obsession with sickness in our nation is a love sickness for Jesus. He will get, have a bride who is lovesick for Jesus, and that will become the obsession of his bride, of his church. And this is what the others say. My, my has to tell us as others. Verse 9, this is important. What is your beloved more than another beloved? Oh, most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjures? Why are you so concerned with going after your beloved? Why, why go through so much trouble? Why go through the hatred? Why go to a new church? Why, why waste your time in the trial and tribulation of life? Just get rid of this Jesus thing. Get rid of your obsession. Why are you so all in? And she says this. My beloved is radiant and ready, distinguished among 10,000, meaning there is no one like Jesus. You bring me your best, and my Jesus is better. And, he, and she, there, I wanted to read a couple more th things. Verse 11, his head is the finest gold. I know this to be, or I read this to be, his head, his leadership, right? Because he's the head of our body. His leadership is perfect. Tested, tried, gone through every fiery furnace. He is worthy to lead me. This is why I'm lovesick. So when he knocks on the doors of our heart tomorrow, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, when you're doing dishes, when you're tired, when you 
are in XYZ place, and he says, give me your attention. When we turn and we say, you have my attention, although I am weak, you have my attention, we're putting oil in our flasks. And he doesn't want just the oil on your good days. If you just have that, you're not going to have enough flasks. He wants the oil when you're kind of in those Garden of Gethsemane moments when you're saying, okay, I really wish you would pass this cup to someone else, but not my will, but your will be done. Because Gethsemane is, is, is the olive. What's it? The Mount of Olives. Am I correct on that? Well, anyways, he was, okay, thank you. I thought so. And the only way to get the oils from the olives is to crush them. And so in the beginning of Song of Solomon, you'd fall in love and everything, you feel it with your emotions, you feel the tingles all over your body, but then there's the second part of the love story where you're getting crushed. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, will you allow me to produce oil here and now in the trial? And in the tribulation, when it feels gross, when no one likes you, you're not getting the applause, you're stripped down naked, you see your own frame, you see your weakness, will you let me produce oil in you now, in the crushing? I didn't even get to my Luke 10, but that's okay. That's sand. In Luke 10, I'll just get there and close. <laughs> Mary and Martha are at the end, and we know the story, but lest we forget, that's our story. We can be distracted by many things and anxious about many things, which our culture is saying they have plenty for us to be distracted about, and they have plenty for us to be anxious about. But Mary, I think it wasn't just an obsession. It was almost like, if I don't get to his feet, I don't know if I will have the strength to endure. So your weakness might be shouting at you and say, you can't get to his feet. You're too dirty for his feet. Your sin is too much for his feet. Your problems are too much issues. Work it out a little bit and then come to his feet. But Luke 10 tells us otherwise. We need to run to his feet. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would be our bridegroom, that the coming season you would show us yourself as bridegroom and show us your fiery love and show us your zeal and show us how valuable you are or we are to you. And help us to say yes to you when you come knocking on our door. Let us not harden our hearts as in rebellion, but let us say yes to you, knowing that you are the perfect leader. You are the perfect leader. Your head is the finest gold. Who are you a 
among all the other beloveds. But God, you are, you are chief among 10,000. There is no one like you, Yeshua. You are the most magnificent one. You are the brilliant one. Jesus, we love you. Anoint our hearts to say yes to you, to worship you, not just on the good days, but to turn to you on even the bad days. Give us oil. Give us oil. Let us be the bride that has flasks of oil. 